Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Monday, the 1st of March. Can you believe it? It is March already, folks. The Ides of March are upon us. Uh, and it's time for Morning Combat. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo. I am from CBS Sports as well as Showtime. And I am joined by the gentleman on that side of your screen. He is the king of Connecticut, factory town, born, bred, and everything else in between. The apathy to my self-title, the cue to my non. It's Brian Campbell. Hello, Brian Campbell. How are you? Hi, Luke. Uh, it's a new month, okay? We are coming in on a uh, one-year anniversary of this quarantine life. Uh, wow, mm -hmm. Luke, how we've grown, okay? We're still standing. Better than ever, bro, all right? You may not want to talk to me at all before this show. Things may be a little icy taking separate limousines to the arena, but once you turn that camera on, Luke, I hope to get the best of you, all right? Yes, you, don't worry. You certainly will. And we want to get the best out of everyone else, uh, so we appreciate everyone who contributed to DMs from Donks and everything else and is watching the show today. If you are new, welcome. We do this on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 11 a.m. in the East live those three days, plus a whole lot more in between, uh, if you'd be so kind, give the video a thumbs up, hit that subscribe button, and do me a solid. You probably know someone who is an MMA fan who doesn't watch MK and maybe should. Send this to them. Let them know. This is a program for them. And as you can see yeah. below on the screen, we're also all over social media. You can give us a follow on Instagram, on Twitter, and it's Morning Combat consistently everywhere. Uh, Morning Combat with a K. If you want to try... Know those South Floridian savages just spread, you know, body fluids and COVID all around like it's going out of style. Do that, but with this show, okay? That's spread right. that thing, right? Yeah, spread this show like COVID. That would be better than actually spreading COVID. Um, in the meantime, if you want to uh, try Showtime, you certainly can. Showtime.com. You can get a 30-day free trial if you like it. You can keep it. If not, if you subscribe, I think, for like Bellator, I'm not sure how long this promo lasts. I'll get clarification on this. But for the first six months, it's only $4.99 for the entirety of the Showtime experience, which, by the way, is hefty. Um, a lot of things you can check out on there. If you want some merch that we are not wearing but does exist, you can go to store.show.com. Brian, we had a meeting about merch on Friday. You want to tell the folks how that went? Yeah, it went great. So here's the deal, folks. Uh, MK Merch 2.0, as we said, yes, it will be available internationally. And yes, it is taking the foundational, you know, start we had of the, hey, this is our merch. It's in earthbound colors, uh, in, in general fonts. Uh, it says Morning Combat, and that's all it says. We've certainly taken it to the next level. Inside humor, a lot of fun coming your way. Uh, I, I think this is going to become a thing, Luke. You know, we launch new merch, they buy it, right? No matter what corner of the world you live in uh we want you to want me and i want you wearing this okay all this bullshit all right there's going to be so much more coming many different colors and kinds too all right luke i'm fired up about our merch situation thank you very it's much. about it's about to be a lot different than it was before which it was great before don't get me wrong but had some limits those limits are about to be off so well luke um, what wasn't mk merch the launch very dad friendly right very dad friendly but not everybody's 42 and white that watches this show okay yeah, well, also, we have an international sport. Like, if you want, I mean, NBA is pretty international these days, but still, most American sports are just that. Uh, this is not exactly the case. We have fans and viewers from all over the earth, quite literally. So, getting a chance to service all of those needs, I think, is important. And, uh, and servicing our fans, seen? Luke, 
is is really what we what we do here, right? We will we, we will reach as far as around to service our fans. So, uh, yeah, yes, that's a thing that we that you say. Uh, is there anything else we forgot before we get started? Uh, you know, plenty of great bonus content out there. Check out my interview with Aljo Sterling ahead of this weekend's title fight as well. Uh, a lot of great uh, chats you can catch up on. Also, uh, the instant reaction to Canelo over the weekend. But, you know, d- don't watch that. Watch this right now, okay? Because we're about to break that down as well. Uh, Luke, um, I'll be heading to uh, Puerto Rico after the show today, all right? Oh, little, yes. Are you staying uh, in San Juan? Yes, I am, okay? That's Have all you been I'm there saying. before? Never been there. Oh, man. You're going to love it. I mean, Puerto Rico's obviously been hit really hard with a lot of different, you know, mismanagement by the colonial powers that be. And, um, you know, the hurricane didn't help things, but they're they're good people. And uh, San Juan's an awesome place. Well, this beige hurricane's about about to, about to land. OK, Luke, it's coming. Right. Thank Are you. they going to make you eat the bagged eggs like they do in California? I have a feeling bagged eggs could be in my future, but I'll keep you posted on Wednesday and Friday show, of course. All right, I dare you to like not eat those and then put them in your bag on the way back. They're going to say that you're smuggling fucking something and they're going to get arrested yeah, for it. Yeah, good Lord. Uh, yeah. All right, what with that you- in mind, let's get things started for the weekend, uh, the past weekend, that is, because we have a lot to get to. There was a fair amount of combat sports, not the most exciting or thrilling weekend ever, but certainly some things to get to. So topic number one, I believe I've got to fade this wave. Memory serves. Yes, there it is. Giving you a little bit of real estate. That's why they pay me the big bucks here. Uh, Cyril Gunn defeating Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Unanimous decision in the main event from UFC on Vegas 20. Now, there was some criticism afterwards. Not that he didn't deserve to win, BC. It was pretty clear that he did. But UFC President Dana White, and he wasn't alone in this, but certainly he was... um, the most vocal representative of the idea that, you know, this was Cyril Ghosn's big chance on a national stage, main event, to get out there and make a name for himself. And while he won, he didn't do much more. BC, should the Frenchman be criticized for his performance? I'll say that he could be criticized. And, you know, you know the, the quickest way to Dana's heart. We've been over this a million times, right? It's not through his stomach. It's by clutching his own pearls and shaking them up for him by delivering a big-time action fight. So Dana's always going to say that. Could you say something negative about Gon not putting his stamp on the moment when it was clear that he held a specific advantage that he was largely milking? You could. But let's be a little bit more realistic here, Luke. One thing he said in the interview afterwards is he really wanted to prove you know, to everybody else, let alone himself, that he can go five hard rounds. He did that. And, you know, there's a very upper core elite of, of top heavyweights who can do that, who can give you five full rounds of a tough pace and play out a game plan. So I like what he showed there. Number two, Luke, uh, there ain't a clear path to the title at the moment, okay? Francis has next in a few weeks. Then John Jones. Then maybe the winner of uh, if Derek Lewis fights uh, the other guy that just won. Oh, there's that other guy that just won too, Volkov. It's pretty crowded. Gon could have come out here, Luke, and landed a three-punch combo in the first minute against Rosenstruck and finished him and still been in the same spot in the end. So I don't think long-term it hurts him. And I think he kind of showed us, at least to me, tell me if I'm wrong, I'm spinning it back to you, he showed me more craft than I necessarily knew he had coming in. So in the end, I think it's a it's a win-win all the way around. Yes, we could be running a viral gift package if he had delivered some big boom, but that man across from him, Rosenstrike, you don't have to run with him. Overeem found that out. So when you take all of that into the factor and you're looking at pictures right now of even some nice ground and grappling work he did, Luke, 
uh, what am I going to say negative about him? You're you're catching up to that upper tier crust of this division, Cyril Gone, and I'm in on this, brother. Dude, he has eight fights. This was his eighth fight. You know, look at how he is performing in his eighth contest. Uh, he only has one, two, three, four, five of them in the UFC. Here's his wins. Uh, Rafael Passau, Dante Mays, Tanner Bosser, which we now know in retrospect is actually a pretty big deal. Then he beat JDS, although that was kind of a weird one, but he beat him. And then uh, Jairzinho Rosenstrike. So you're already doing that with, let's say, less than 10 MMA fights. I mean, mo- most people who are in their eighth fight, even if they've won the first seven, are still competing on the regional scene. This guy is in the UFC in the main event and maybe knocking on the door. Not quite of a title shot at this point, but certainly top five space. I mean, it's kind of incredible to see what we're doing here. Moreover, I looked at the actual numbers, BC, and I thought you were right. You you really hit the nail on the head, which is, what did he show you? Was it? Listen, a lot of people want to hipster this to the nth degree and say, no, no, no. If you didn't appreciate this, you know, you don't know the intricacies of fighting and blah blah blah. And I'll be like, well, it's sort of true that maybe they don't know the intricacies of fighting. But the whole point is, a good fight is one where somebody doesn't know the intricacies of fighting, and it's still really palatable. It's still really interesting. This was not a particularly fun fight. It's totally okay to say that. It was kind of boring. It was a little lifeless. It was on at the same time Canelo was beating the shit out of Yildirim, which we'll talk about later. Um, so if you didn't enjoy it, I think that's a perfectly fine opinion. But to say that Rosenstrike is free of blame here, basically all the attention's on gone, I don't understand that. There were three different rounds where one of the fighters landed single-digit number of strikes in that round. It happened three times. It wasn't Cyril Gaon. Jairzinho Rosenstrike landed eight strikes in the first, six in the second, and just five in the fifth. Meanwhile, 23, 29, 29 for Cyril Gaon. I'm sorry, he also had two takedowns. He had four and a half minutes overall of control time. Dude, the guy, one of them was working. The numbers clearly show one guy was doing a lot, or at least relative to the other guy, and that guy is Cyril Gaon. Now, yes, could he have risked something and got out in front of his skis and maybe have won? It's not a guarantee he would have lost. Yes, that's very true. But the numbers are pretty clear here. One guy was better than the other guy. He was better than the other guy with less than 10 uh, fights and pro MMA to his name. He did it comprehensively, BC, a 25-minute fight for a heavyweight, and he never really lost um, you know, gas or or really showed um, his game break down over time. Dude, that was a very ex- – it, it showed like – it looked like gone, BC, I think you would agree with this, had 20 years' experience. He yeah. looked like the guy who knew more about the game, how to manage his resources, how to command range, and from an activity standpoint, did multiples – of what Rosenstrike did. Dude, he had Rosenstrike like straight up frustrated and confused to the level that he wasn't even playing into the one chance he had, which was the, you know, the the puncher's chance, the one punch knockout power. He wasn't even letting his hands go for long stretches because the opening just wasn't there. So yeah, you're right. Let's spin it back on Rosenstrike and also a little bit on Dana. I mean, like Dana wasn't killing gone. He was just being Dana, right? He's trying to promote action. He's trying to take attention off of guys who who see an avenue to cruise to a decision without taking, you know, chances and damage, and he jumps on them. Well, hey, Dana, remember when Ngannou and Derek Lewis fought and it was a way worse fight than this one? 
And then you crapped on Derek Lewis and didn't criticize, uh, you know, Ngannou at all. He won the fight. You didn't criticize him. Now you're criticizing, in this case, the guy that won it. Uh, you know, this wasn't as bad as, say, Curtis Blades in that Volkov fight, Luke, who I think had a much bigger opportunity to make a statement, especially fresh off those comments about fighter pay. The spotlight was on him. And, you know, he had to backdoor that win in the end after he gassed out trying to wrestle too much. This had none of those elements. This was Cyril Gaon, I think, telling us, Luke, that if you wanted to know whether he's uh, has the temerity to attempt upper bound limits of potential to steal a little Luke and scramble those eggs up, Luke, uh, he he's better than some of the more one-punch or nothing guys at this level. I don't know if he's a legitimate title contender long term, but Luke, I don't almost tell him to lean into this style because we got enough bangers. That can knock that can that can get you out of there accidentally in this division. Do we have as many guys this craftful switching stances doing a lot of that stuff? Now look, a lot of that's not gonna work as easy as it did against Rosenstrike against a John Jones per se, but this lane might be Sir Ogon's best to try to uh maximize his ability. So Luke, all in all, big win for him, okay? And I don't I don't wanna I don't want to overstretch this comparison, BC, because this is not fair to either participant I'm about to say. But there, if there is one similarity between, let's say, Cyril Gaon and a guy like Volkanovsky, they have different weight classes, different body types, obviously, very different styles. But there is a commonality, which is you're seeing these best practices being developed, and they're very good for nullification, incremental landing, right? So I'm a little bit more than what the opponent is doing, and staying out of range, staying safe. And again, they use very different tactics. Very different skills to get there, but you're seeing it's sort of a bit of a common factor. If the, if someone is overmatched, these guys are going to finish them. But if it's somebody dangerous, and particularly again, we're talking ten or less pro fights, you know, there's going to be a degree of rational care that goes into maintaining. And these guys have the range and the skills and the movement. I mean, one thing that uh, Gon was doing, like folks are not going to know this, but. It's like actually kind of important. Gone, uh, he sometimes would jab on a straight line. A lot of times he would jab and then V out at another direction. So like that's not something that shows up in the stats. And you're asking like, oh, actually it kind of does in a way, BC, because it shows up on Rosenstrike not being able to throw because the guy wasn't there. He has all these skills that just kind of shut down an opponent who is very dangerous. It doesn't give him you know the highlight reel finish that everybody wants. But geez, man, I feel like people are being way too critical for a yeah. guy who is still this young. This should be exciting because, BC, we can all agree, Gon has room to grow, to get better. He's already this good, this athletic, this smart. Shit, man. People should be excited about what he can do in terms of building on this. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, it's not like he's overflowing with charisma either. So again, this might yeah, be the best too. lane for him, right? Let's let's just be as good as you can be. Unless they're going to change the rules one day, Luke, that says all championship fights need to be a finish. And if it's a decision, it's a draw on your record, which will never happen, then there's only a limit to what you can say about somebody being too boring, okay? You know in this game, if you fight boring and you don't have a big personality, you're probably going to have to wait your turn. Some guys, though, that's the only way they're going to get their chance. It's understood. It's how the system works. Let's kind of give this chance, this guy a chance to grow. He's fresh off a knockout of a former champion. I mean, like, let's give him a chance here. All right, let's move to topic number two if we can here. We'll come back to UFC. Don't worry, folks. But this is just how the show is structured for today. Let's talk about the 
technically the biggest fight of the weekend in terms of pomp and circumstance and size. This one took place in Miami, Florida. Canelo Alvarez defeating Avni Yildirim inside the third round. I believe it's TK. I don't know what the official designation is. But he wins, uh, let's see, WBA, BC, Ring Magazine Via shit stain. Luke, I think it says via shit stain on the Wikipedia page. it, It might as well. It was a very extraordinarily... I mean, we knew... Canelo was going to win. We knew he was going to win by a lot, but it was just an even even with that, Avni Yildirim didn't open up, and when he did, he got you know obviously uh, assaulted, and the fight ended pretty quickly. Okay, BC, did we learn anything from this? No, not not in reality. No, it, you know we said it was a let's you know stay busy, move the chains, keep your title away from them crooks type of fight. And it played out exactly like that. Do you want to criticize Yildirim? You could, right? He's got that Wolf's Blood nickname or whatever the hell he had, Luke. And yet he's going out there in a completely foreign style to him, trying to box defensively. Now, look, was that part of a longer plan to get Canelo into the later half of the fight or whatever? Might have been. Let's shout out to Joel Diaz for taking a rough subject and trying something. Problem is, while they were trying something, they actually weren't trying anything, Luke, because they didn't throw punches. You'd almost respect Yildirim more if he went in there and went out face first on his shield like you expected him to. With that said, though, can we give Canelo a little bit of respect here for surgically uh, dismantling him, creating an event, whether you like that ring entrance or not. I'm not trying to use like the ring entrance necessarily as collateral to say, well, Canelo entertained us. I mean, look, he, he made it a big event. He got the guy out of there, okay? At the end of the day, Yildirim didn't seem to bring his best chances of winning, and Canelo is proving in this one and the Callum Smith fight, Luke, and even the uh, Rocky Fielding one, that if you look to hide behind your gloves and wade him out or stink him out and you don't have elite foot speed to do that, he's going to get through your guard. He's going to loop in hooks. He's going to find uppercuts. So if there was anything to learn, I think it's just a double down on what we learned in that Callum Smith fight, that you really have to be elite in in at least one to two categories, like super elite to hang and contend with him, right? Like guys like Lara or Jacobs, they had certain elements to their game, quick feet, boxing IQ, or in Jacobs' case, the threat of power to make Canelo stop being Canelo. Uh, it's a long drop-off after those elite guys, and obviously Yildirim wasn't even close to that category, but Canelo stood right in front of him like he did Callum Smith, no fear for the power, and, and dismantled him. If we learned anything, it's that at 30 years old right now, Luke, we are watching the very best of who Canelo can be. And I got to tell you, having followed his entire career, I never thought, Luke, he would be this good. I knew he'd be this big of a star. I knew he would be able to matchmake and learn from Floyd on how to be a, you know, be a superstar, win big fights, whatever. Luke, I never necessarily guessed that he would be your pound-for-pound king, would be able to rise up and wait and just dismantle folks. Uh, this one was expected, yes. But if we learned anything, Luke, it's, it's like, hell yeah, this is the Canelo era. This guy really is the goods in every category. Yeah, I guess I can't say I learned a whole lot from it. Um, you know, we'll talk about the the quitting on the stool or whatever it was in just a second. But yeah, you go in there and I thought, okay, little Deerum will try and take it long, and he was trying to cover up as a way to do that because he couldn't even open up a little bit without being set on fire, even just defensively shelled and doing nothing but receiving shots and then trying to roll with them or cover them as much as possible, he was still getting chewed to pieces. He had nowhere to go in that fight. We've been over it before. You know, I think the concept of a mandatory, in, in many ways, it makes sense. In many cases, it will be quite beneficial to no matter who wins, just as in terms of maintenance for a division and for a title, that's fine. But with so many titles and so many sanctioning bodies, it ends up getting to a point where you get a complete mismatch like this. I mean, this was not a guy who deserved to... I mean, this is the thing. It's like people are making it about like, oh, he ordinarily wouldn't get a title shot, 
because of the way popularity works in boxing. This guy wouldn't no. get a title shot against Canelo <laughs> by virtue of the way talent works in boxing. If there was any kind of real, like singular ranking system, he'd be too far in the back of the pack to ever ever get close to this. So he should thank his lucky stars. Yeah, he I mean, like a he's a fringe contender who the two biggest times in his career before that that he stepped up to the elite title level, he lost both. So he shouldn't have been in this fight, Luke. Right. And I'm not trying to hide the indictment that this is on the sport. Like, you know, you can argue that the mandatory system sucks to begin with, and then when you're getting mandatories like this, I can't defend it. I straight up cannot defend it. Right. But again, uh, dead weekend in the middle of the early winter, at least Canelo filled it, and at least, Luke, he will be back May 8th. So uh, do, I, do I want my stars again to have just fought in December, come back? in this quick one and then tell you I'm coming back in May and then two more times after that again yes yes oh big BC all you're doing is pumping up the bag of Big Red tell me why I shouldn't you know pour some cinnamon on me folks seriously just trying to tell you like it is alright this guy's beating the game right now did you like the the J Balvin entrance yeah, you know, I think I was a little too old for it, Luke. But I will say, I tweeted that it was awesome. It, it had a, it had a, you know, a strong. You know what it screamed? It screamed star. It wasn't necessarily Super Bowl halftime cheesy and cringy. It was pretty, pretty damn cool, Luke. I'll say in the end, it wasn't. I gotta as cool tell as you, like, Anthony Mexican, Joshua, but it's he, next he, level. He's a Mexican superstar. He was in Miami, which I don't know exactly how many Mexicans are in Miami. Obviously, you associate Miami with. All different kinds of Latin people, but predominantly Cuban and Puerto Rican, right? But there's more than that. There's a bunch of Colombians, Venezuelans there. It's it's filled with all different types. But certainly, you go in there, you get Jay Balvin there, you're in Miami. It just felt like a very Miami entrance. It did feel like he was trying to cast as wide a net to as many young uh, Latinos as possible. Um, it, you know, was it for me? No, of course it's not. I'm not. I'm not the target demo. Did I think that it was big and spectacular and, you know, kind of kind of, to your point, like befitting a king, so to speak. I, I did, actually. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, so, you know, the fire and then the platform and everything else, it was a little on the long side. But the only thing that came out of the fight that was a little bit subject of debate-ish was how the fight ended. So after the second round where Yildirim gets dropped, BC, he goes Third. back to his corner, and I got to hand it to him. Third his round. corner put it on him. Joel Diaz, right in his face, right in his, oh, end of the third, whatever it was. Got in his face and was like, I'm going to give you one more round unless you show me something. He didn't even respond back. And I think they called it because he didn't respond to his trainer at that point. So I guess, did his trainer throw the towel or did he throw the towel? I don't I know. Think what it do was you make of how trainer. the fight ended? Yeah, I think it was the trainer. And let's just say there is a language barrier there. Avni does not speak English. But I think that was the reason, Luke. Just blank stare. Didn't want to be there. It's actually rare that you see a, a coach step in, uh, you know, on this level this early. But, again, I echo to you. I like that he was was – trying to portray to Yildirim the, the impact of the moment. You just got dropped. You can't even get a punch off. Like, you either show me something right now or the fight's over. And by not saying anything, he said enough, Luke. I got no problem with it. Uh, you know, what do you want there? You want you want blood? You want the guy splattered across the canvas? It was going to happen. But, uh, you know, health and safety won out. And I know I'm the guy telling you, let's let Cater uh, go. But uh, I thought it was a different situation. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. It's like if you're not responding, language barrier or, or whatever, it's body language too, and you can't hide that. And moreover, I was like, dude, through two, three rounds, whatever it was, what could you have possibly seen as a path to legitimate victory for this guy short of a, and it wouldn't be legitimate at that point, short of a double leg and then ground and pound? I mean, yeah, he's going to have to cheat. Was, <laughs> he was going to have to muck him up on the inside. He never even tried any of that, Luke. Okay. Yeah, and he, was, he wasn't going to get on the inside. Canelo was going to eat his lunch there, too. You know, I saw people being like, oh, he shouldn't have quit. I'm like, 
Dude, if you're in a fight or it's still winnable or this guy's beneath your level, you know, yeah, I could understand maybe sucking it up. But, man, this ain't the time to suck it up. You suck it up, you're going to go out there and you're going to end up looking at the lights. And, you know, it's easy for us to say this guy has to worry about, uh, you know, life after fighting. I, I did not mind that he quit at all. And frankly, I thought it was actually the wise decision. He was way out of his depth and only bad things were going to happen at that point. Yeah, and look, look, you're going to get a lot of people saying this is wrong with boxing. We've already been up and down that road. Uh, at least she's coming back, like I said, May 8th, and it's Billy Joe Saunders, and i, I got to wake people up if they don't know. Like, this is a real fight. It is Canelo going against a guy that normally may have been avoided in this spot because Billy Joe Saunders talks a lot of trash to embarrass you. He's hard to get a deal with. He pulls out of fights. He's a tough negotiator. And, oh, by the way, he can fight a negative style as a southpaw. He has looping punches. He's got quick feet. There's a lot of, like, sneaky elements that makes this a tough fight. And, again, it's Canelo just going, he has the belt I need. I'm going to fight him at the biggest level. I can't wait for this fight, Luke. I know it's not going to be as sexy as Golovkin or, you know, when we start propping in the new the new wave of young guys that we want to see Canelo against, but uh, it's a necessary fight, and Saunders still hasn't lost. He's been world-class for a while. Let's go. Let's see it. I love seeing Canelo, Luke, have to deal with a guy who's got a completely defensive, smart, tricky style. It's going to be fun to see. Certainly the best fight I think he could be in um... – Maybe in this, well, Callum Smith was a good one, but it just didn't end up being very competitive. I, I tend to think Saunders will be a little bit more back and forth. And also, for folks who may not realize this, since 2012, basically, Canelo's only fought two times a year, once in 2019, just in that May, just in that September. Now you're getting the May and September with a couple of other ones thrown in along the way. So if you didn't like it, fine, you don't have to, but it's not a substitution of good. It's just the good's already there, and then he's adding some stuff around it. Your mileage may vary on that. Yeah, um, and, and I think I think Luke, he's good. you're going to see how great he can be this year because if he's not going to be taking a lot of punishment in these fights, and I know it's not easy to basically be in training camp for a full year, but we're really going to see whether he fights you know Saunders next and Plant and then maybe a Golovkin. We're going to see the very best of what Canelo has. I, I love seeing this activity at the highest level. It's so rare in boxing for a super elite to even attempt to fight four times in a year. I think you're going to, you know, I'm hoping, Luke, I'm hoping people realize that not only can you make more checks this way and you can make a big impact commercially in a small window, you may find, unless you went through a barn burner that took a lot out of you, that you could stay at a really high level the whole time. Yes, absolutely. And I wonder, not so much this fight, BC, but the overall, once the 2021 campaign is over, if he gets in the four uh, in the year, which he said he wanted to, so he's looking for four. If he does that, I wonder if it might compel some other champs to maybe take on a little bit more activity or maybe a little bit more risk or something. I don't think it'll have a wide-ranging effect, but if you get a couple more fights that you ordinarily were not going to get out of it, not the worst thing in the world. Hey, if uh, Triller's okay. going to keep throwing money around, Luke, I, I, I might box you. It might get to that point, all right? It certainly might. We'll be on Triller. It'll be great. Uh, okay, BC, let's get to this one. Back to the UFC card. So in the co-main event of the UFC card, Magomed Ankalaev defeats Nikita Krilov via unanimous decision or whatever it was. I got to look at the exact way he won. But it was kind of a workmanlike performance in the end. We had all expected a bit of a striking affair, Krilov being a little bit more of a kickboxer, Ankalaev a little bit more of a boxer, and you did see some of that, but Krilov was either winning or giving him too many problems for Ankalaev to really like that way of fighting, so he mostly wrestled and controlled him on, on route to victory. So my question for UBC is, okay, he won, and he's the legitimate winner here. He's on a great streak. Did he convince you, though, that this is a guy who could be a future 205-pound title contender? 
He did. He did in a big way, Luke. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I, this fight uh, certainly wasn't spectacular. Didn't have a lot of bells and whistles, but I was intrigued the whole time and entertained from watching him turn this fight around. Krylov came in and gave a hell of an effort, Luke. I mean, he was out grappling the better grappler in that first round and was standing up to shots and really was like, this is going to be a fight, despite you know what they said on the broadcast, that uh, Ankalaev was a 4-1 to one favorite, uh, which is large at this level. Uh, and to see the adjustments he made into smesh mode, Luke, and just basically took the fight away from this guy and every single thing Krylov tried in that second round. I mean, Ankalaev had the perfect counter for it. And then when he's landing that check right hook from the southpaw stance, Luke, and just sitting down on that shot, uh, this guy's nasty. And he has sort of that requisite Bond movie villain, oh, you're from Dagestan, Russian area, you're probably a killer who can wrestle thing going to, to a large degree too. He seems smart. He seems uh, single-minded in his approach. He's going to come in there and take you out. Luke, I was going to ask you, about this guy's upper bound limits because what I'm seeing is a guy who can really do it all and he's poised and he's tough as balls. I really like the run he's on. I know he got submitted by Paul Craig early in his UFC run in 2018, but he's been very active since then and it's been one impressive performance after another. Yeah, more to the point, he was beating the shit out of Paul Craig. Paul Craig got that submission at 459 of the third round. If that fight had gone just a little bit longer... He'd have easily won it. He was winning that fight no problem. So that's his only blemish on his record. So he did lose the Paul Craig fight, but he, you know, again, very unusual circumstances. Then he beat Marcin Procneo, then Klitsin Abreu after Abreu missed weight. Dolka Bula, who has the biggest traps I've ever seen on a human being. Twice uh, Ion Kutelaba, we all know Trap the story Zilla there. over there. Yeah, and then uh, Nikita Krylov. And all of those have gone via a way of stoppage except for the Klitsin Abreu who missed weight and, uh, you know, what can he really do about that? He won that as well. This guy is very, very, very talented and only 28 years of age. He still has a couple of years left before he really primes out. In my opinion, this was not the strongest performance in the same way as the Cyril Gaon performance wasn't his strongest, which is to say he didn't have the most violent finish. He didn't have the biggest differential in skill between his opponent or, you know, to show, did he show Habib-level dominance like, once-in-a-generation level talent. No, he didn't show those things. But what he showed was, it kind of doesn't matter what you have. He's got an answer for it. And that answer yeah, is that, may is be... Is that IQ? Luke, he's a smart dude in there, man. Super he's really smart IQ. Chess. And dude, like on his boxing, like you watch boxing, you've watched it a long time, BC. That dude's got good timing. He's got yeah. good timing, good accuracy. He just knows when to make reads. He sees the openings and he takes them. Like, he's just got a lot of abilities, man, that, like, to this point, he's already this good. Now, do I think he could beat Adesanya if Adesanya wins this weekend? Probably not, although, I, you know, we'll have to see what the hell happens. But uh, do I think in two years this guy's going to be a force to be reckoned with? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely think that. I think if you can already do the kinds of things he's doing and show the natural ability to have timing and distance and speed. And obviously, you know, he's got a, a, a V in his name and his first name is Magomed. He's got the Amish beard. He's not going to be out-toughed. He's not going to be, you know, shook by the shit you say to him. He's going to be totally immune to that kind of a thing. Dude, he is he is serious. So, like, it's weird. We're talking about Ghana. We're talking about Ankalaev, these main and coming guys, and two, a division's just two apart. And we're praising them in situations where, yes, they're not getting amazing finishes. They're not going out there and just running past the number one contender. You got to build in parts of your life. You got to build in certain parts of your career. But BC, it's just if you look at where they're building and what they've done it with and what tools they've done it with, 
I, I don't know how you can come come away from this being anything other than like, dude, this is someone who is at a bare minimum probably going to contest for that light heavyweight title some point in the next year or two. And I have to say, I, I'm I'm extra impressed by his IQ and the adjustments he made to a live contender, you know, getting the best of him in the first round. More impressed with that than I am at just the, the, the dominance of how he smashed him in round three. So, Luke, anytime there's a, a, a great fighter that pops on the scene, he's a little bit different, you know, you, you can get copycats, you can get a new era kind of uh, churn out, and... Uh, there's not there's not going to be another Habib anytime soon, as you sort of established. You know, it's such a special and rare all time athlete. But are, are we going to see more of these guys from the Schmesh Factory just come in here and absolutely clean up, even if they're a little bit more striking heavy than they are wrestling? It just seems like this mindset and this style of just grind them wrestling with the connection to Dagestan. I mean, it feels like just the beginning because now division by division, you're looking at guys that, that sort of fit that Amish profile, Luke, as we jokingly said, but with full respect to the, to the fighters that come out of that era, it's not just the technique and the, I mean, these guys are trained savages ready to take over, Luke. You feel the new era might be here. I mean, it's already dudes, here. We're all, in it. all those dudes uh, right on or near the Caucasus Mountains, all those dudes in, in what they used to call Indo-Europe, everywhere from Iran, parts of uh, Russia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, Armenia, uh, Turkey, all the way through. Dude, all of those people are going to excel in this sport, and you're seeing it now. They come from a you know very difficult upbringing. It's part of their culture. You know they are they have monastic lives relative to a lot of Americans in terms of how they approach this. Like, dude, the Russians are here and they're not going anywhere. And you can see it because it's not just in UFC. Look at Bellator. Some of the biggest signings Bellator has made um, in the last year have been the same kinds of profiles. And I guarantee that's only going to continue. The feeder system out of these parts of the world are going to create several, several more UFC champions, not just from Dagestan, but again, from Russia and then some of those parts of uh, Indo-Europe. It's going to be it's going to be wild to see. The so Americans look, are going to have their work to do to, to, well, to stay level. Well, they've taken that... They've taken, I mean, like, you know, the American wrestlers dominated that that first wave of, like, legitimate UFC with rules, right? And then it kind of became the Brazilians. Um, are we missing anyone in between? Because it feels like it's going to be uh, caucus time for a long time, Luke. Well, you're forgetting that the Japanese dominated at some point through several weight classes as well. But, yeah. I mean, is that a surprise that I forgot that, Luke? No, it's not. It's quite, it's it's sad, quite on it's par. Sad, it's a sad truth, yeah. I, By the I way, Ankalaev sitting at 11 before this fight in the rankings, almost certainly now with Krilov sitting, previously sitting at 8. They might swap places at a bare minimum now, Ankalaev in your top 10. And then at heavyweight, Gon was sitting at 7. You had Rosenstrike at 4. This is going to put Gon in the top 5. So um, it's not the kind of thing that's going to, oh my God, did you see his power? Did you? But if you understand smarts and the value there and then what you can use that to do, you're going to see those guys get stoppages and you're going to see them in very important fights coming up. Um, BC, now we've talked about everything from Canelo Yildirim to UFC on Vegas 20. There was that Parker versus Fa heavyweight fight as well that took place in Auckland in front of a crowd, which is kind of interesting. So point number four, anybody out there, anybody out there in the combat sports space this weekend doing that work that you believe deserves a bit of a shout out, a little bit of, a, little bit of a, a, a tip of the old cap. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to pull you into some international boxing, and it's not like I didn't see the uh, Anthony Durrell draw, surprisingly, on that PBC main event on Saturday, uh, which was actually a pretty decent fight. But, I mean, look, you saw the guy in the picture, Pedro Munoz. That fight with Jimmy Rivera, Luke, was sort of like the people's main event of this card, and uh, it was one of those savagely 
competitive fights where, uh, Luke, you knew 60 seconds in, these guys were so friggin' evenly matched. And I know they fought before, you know, six years ago, but that you knew like 60 seconds in that they're, they're going to give everything they had and both of them are going to be really hurt and somebody's going to just barely win the fight. Uh, Luke, this was, was a calf-kicking festival for a while, but man, were they trading bombs. And uh, what a gutsy, smart, adaptable win there for Pedro Munoz. And both of these guys had been, you know, all-stars of the second tier level in this division uh, with, with teases at times that they could, that they can get back to the top. You almost feel like a fight when they're this evenly matched. It just takes enough out of both of them that neither end up getting ahead, but great win for uh, Munoz and great effort for uh, certainly for Jimmy Rivera. Luke, did, did you hear Bisping's sort of half joking, but half serious takes on the state of calf kicking? I did want to get your take on that. The people, uh, care about which part? The whole idea, he was half-joking and saying, look, you know, maybe, talking to Paul Felder, maybe we should ban these because it's become the ultimate calf-kicking competition. And I have seen, obviously, now that the, the calf-kick is the new fresh thing, both sides of the extreme takes, right? People saying, uh, hey, dude, chill out. It's another adaption in the sport that you have to figure out how to stop, right? Let's embrace it. But then I've seen other people saying, look, it's not that it's illegal or anything like that. It's just kind of gives an, sometimes a, an advantage someone wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't build any other way, right? I mean, you can debilitate somebody with that quickly. So are, are, are you, and this is becoming the focus of every fighter in every fight. Where do you stand in that? With, keeping in mind also the entertainment factor of it. Is that entertaining to you to watch two guys circle around and, and make each other's lead leg black and blue, Luke? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it okay. is. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I, I tend not to b- put too much, um, you know, I disagree with Michael. I don't think it's that big a point of concern for two reasons or maybe three, but the basic idea would be one, why don't you see these kinds of problems in kickboxing? And you'll talk to kickboxers and the answer is because they do a lot of good work in conditioning their legs. They don't feel it quite as much. So the idea that it's automatically debilitating is not true. It is for MMA fighters who don't want to put their body under that kind of stress, but there are probably ways to condition ahead of time that could help. Um, and then the second part is that, uh, you know, am I under the belief that we are at the end of fighting? Like, or this is the end. This is where this is the maximum level of ability that fighters are going to have and to make adaptations and changes and adjustments. No, it's currently a situation where guys are exploiting a loophole. This loophole is going to close. Guys are going to get better at checking it. They might find ways to condition their legs. You absolutely, by the way, can check a leg kick or a calf kick. It is entirely doable. You have to change your stance to account for that. So you're going to see some of these changes, better conditioning, better checking, better range management, better you know, getting your foot out of the way, whatever over time because the idea that this is just well we've encountered this problem and no one knows how to solve it boy i find that very hard to believe it's just that right now it has a very pronounced effect from a technical standpoint the argument there and i'm and i'm not saying that bisping or paul felder were saying outlaw it but they were having a discussion and they said the problem is that you can't check it you know because there's there's such a a high pain level and damage even in checking it. So and then look, I'm also not saying it's boring get rid of it, but it does change the tone of fights very quickly. And yeah, but you know, I you mean, could say the same thing though, to be honest with you, there is that sort of out punch in both boxing and MMA. And MMA you can also kick them there and that's hitting somebody in the liver or just hitting them in general with a debilitating body shot. Luke, that can end the fight at any friggin' point like that too. And, you know, we still have defenses in place to block that. So you're right. I think the styles will evolve out. I think what you don't want 
is that it gets to a point where it, you need a forced evolution and a rule change to, for the sake of entertainment. And I think that happened in the end of the 90s into the early 2000s in the NBA where defenses were just, you know, dropping down, playing such a physical game, trapping any kind of offense. Scoring was down. They're like, oh, shit, we got to open the lane up again, bring in zone defense, really, you know, change the rules where you can't hand check so we can just open up the scoring again. We've certainly seen that in the NFL, I think maybe more towards the preservation of quarterbacks and head trauma, but also in opening things up and having higher flying. Um, I just wonder, Luke, if if there's if there's potential for this to get close to that, where fights are so dominated by this that it's like, it's like when people were first learning about grappling in the, in those mid UFC days where they're like, Oh man. I mean, we still see some of that today from boxing fans. It's like, I can't, I can't watch two men roll around in panties. Right. That's what Bernard Hopkins said one time. It's just not for me. Um, we're, we're luckily past that. Will we get past this quicker? Luke? I mean, understand Mount used to be such a position of dominance. You couldn't imagine someone getting out of it short of a miracle. Like we're talking early days of UFC where, you know, Mount is sitting on someone's chest past their hips, and all they have is their arms. It, seem, it seemed the most suffocating, horrendous position for someone who could achieve it, and now people don't even go for it because they can't hold it. Like, again, if we're 10 years down the road and guys exchange calf kicks and then the fight's over, we can revisit this. I ha- if you are a fighter in today's UFC, you have an enormous incentive to work around this problem. I tend to think it will be worked around. And again, okay. I want to be clear about something. I'm not saying I'm tougher than Bisping and Paul Felder because I'm not. I'm not no, saying no, I know no. more than them because I don't. But I'm listening to other kickboxers, Gabriel Varga and, uh, for example, uh, Joseph Valtellini, who have their YouTube channels, and they're both explicit. You can check them, and you can get conditioned for them. Okay, well, they seem like they know what they're talking about, two championship-level kickboxers. So if they're saying it, granted, different sport, different rules, different ways to prepare, I understand. But with what they're telling me and what I just know about fighting, it's like, you ever seen those economists that whenever some kind of technology comes around, they say this is going to put everyone out of their jobs? These are the, right. these Luddite uh, economists. And then what you end up seeing is, yes, it replaces them on that version of it. Like when the typewriter comes around, there won't be need for X. And then you just realize there's just a bunch of new ways to use the typewriter where employment stays full. Is there sort of these false ideas about what's going to take over an industry? No. People will just make adaptations to it. I very much believe. I, yes, I think you're right. Kick, I, I think The calf kick right now, BC, it's a problem. I don't think it's going to be that way forever. Yeah, and I wonder though. Uh, I think the only way it would become a problem, Luke, is if uh, if it led to shortened careers. Yes, and I maybe don't know enough about the grind and the you know the medical science behind that. But if we're seeing guys like their their mobility compromised after three or four fights of heavy leg kicks, you know, and they're not the same fighter, you know, that that would be the only thing that could speed this conversation up. But I think you're right. Let, let's 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 tactic against it, folks. Okay. And then Eugene if you wanted Barrymore, to, if you're if you were a commission, you could just outlow strikes below the knee. You know, that's it. Um, yeah. By the way, to give a heads up to, or a shout out to somebody, uh, Ronnie Lawrence was the only guy who got a stoppage on this UFC card, I believe. I think that's right. Um, he defeated uh, Vince Cachero. Cachero? You'll be seeing him in Have You Seen the Shit later in the show, Luke. Ronnie Lawrence Okay, so I'll just say this. There. He looked really, really good. He's, uh, he's only 7-1. and one. He's still relatively new in his career, but he was he was just dominating this guy, taking him out, ground and pounding him. He looked like, uh, he looked like someone to keep your eye on. And did, were All you right. impressed by Montana De La Rosa gutting out that draw, Luke? She got kicked in the eye a few times, dude. And her face was broken. Do you see that? Her left, the left side of her eye socket was for sure broken. Yikes! Uh, Yikes! And she was all bitter. She got a draw. Yeah, it sucked. Uh, last but not least, BC, we are on the verge of UFC 259. So point number five here, very quickly. 
There is a lot on this card. I mean, a ton. You've got three title fights. You've got, I mean, the card itself is actually pretty good. But here's my question to you, BC. Wherever you want to go, take it. What is the most interesting storyline to you heading into UFC 259? Well, can I just dead wrong you? And you're like, you know, the card's pretty good. The card's freaking loaded, Luke, okay, to the point. Okay, it's loaded. Is this the most loaded UFC card since, like, 217 or 229? I mean, th this thing's freaking loaded. Star power, three title fights, bangers that have title implications, all that. So let's put that down. Uh, Luke, I can't get past the whole Adesanya angle in this, and there's a, a lot you could lean to, which you say what's the most compelling or interesting. Best fight on this card, it's the Bantamweight title fight. But the storyline involving Adesanya doing this, Luke... He has been in the UFC for three years, and I know there's the city cuckboxing joke, and there's the double down, hey, BC and Luke, you tend to really puff up Izzy's bag. Outside of the weird videos Izzy posts touching his dog's dong, Luke, which I'm not even sure I'm prepared to talk about, um, there's nothing bad you can say about this guy. In three years, he's 9-0 and with four stoppage wins, two title defenses plus an interim title win, and victories over a who's friggin' who of this division's recent history, including a flush knockout victory over Robert Whitaker. So um, that's the establishment here in the foundation, and now he's moving up to light heavyweight. He's favored to win, and he's still talking about, I want John Jones, I could go back up to heavyweight. Luke, this opportunity for a victory here for Izzy, you thought these three years were big. Seriously, at the end of the next three years, could we be seeing the UFC's first three-division champion, a global superstar, your pound-for-pound -pound king, and a guy who catapults himself into the GOAT discussion? It's in play. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying he'd ever be favored to beat John Jones under any weight class. All I'm saying is I think the biggest intrigue here is how does he look at the new weight? Can he become a simultaneous champ champ right here? And does this open our eyes to the idea that... While McGregor's rise was certainly impactful and impressive critically. I mean, he knocked out Josie Aldo in seconds, right? It was a little bit more commercial value than even critical, Luke. I think what Izzy has a chance to do over the next few years is going to be, you know, on par critically with that run John Jones had to kick off his light heavyweight title career, right? Just beating Hall of Famer after all. I mean, this is insane what he's doing, and I think he's got a chance to do um, the, the kind of ambitious shit people just don't always either have the opening or have the balls to go after. He don't get there unless he beats Jan this Saturday. And Luke, I I'm really interested to see with the next few years, knowing how bold this guy is, what they look like. Can he really fight at heavyweight at the elite level? I mean, it's going to be wild if he ends up going down that road. And also, the reverse of the story is kind of interesting too, which is what if Jan Blahovich wins? We've discussed it a million times. He would be one of the most unlikely success stories certainly in light heavyweight history, but maybe in UFC championship history, right? And here's what I mean. There's been people who won the title and then didn't defend it or, you know, don't have the most memorable reign as champion. But if Jan Blahovich, who started his UFC run two and four, right? Two and four is how he started his UFC run to then go out there and become champion. That is alone impressive. But then in your first defense, you go and you beat an undefeated fighter. Granted, moving up a weight class, but listen, I'm not going to give I'm not going to give Adesanya too much of a break because he's going up a weight class here. He's the one talking about he could go up to heavyweight and fight, and has certainly in one of the composite sports of MMA. You know, okay, this is something that is entirely doable for you. 
if if Blahovich goes out there and wins, dude, how many times can you say a guy started his career losing uh, two out of every three fights and then ended up as champion beating a guy who was not only undefeated but was widely considered to be, in your point, I think your points are totally correct, who is kind of spotlighted as a dude who maybe might get two, Jesus, three belts out of the question? That would be such a turnaround, such a late development, because this guy is, I think, close to 40 at this point. I mean, that would be... Yeah. He turned 38 the other day. I, I can't think of many stories, especially outside of heavyweight, where guys are good this late after being, I'm not going to say mediocre, but you know, he's sort of regional UFC level, like the guy like, oh, UFC's in Prague this weekend. Oh, okay, well, they'll have, you know, Jan Blachowicz on the card. He'll be fighting another guy from Europe that is, you know, fine. He graduated from that, and no one took notice until they had to. And now you're asking yourself, well, geez, how far can he take it? He has a huge opportunity this weekend. Yeah, he does. He does. You're right. He'd almost be a footnoted transitional champion if he loses this Saturday, or he has a chance to really uh, put a kind of capstone, or not even cap, a launching point, like you mentioned, potentially by being a guy this critically uh, recognized. Uh, Blahowitz kind of his story kind of got lost in last year's Fighter of the Year. Uh, debate Luke and, I, and it was tough to see that because he certainly was in the top three discussion and deserved more praise on the unlikeliness of it uh, Luke to close on that point about Adesanya if he wins in almost any non-controversial form on Saturday like is that that's more than enough to be your pound for pound king right now right I mean that's gonna that's gonna pass Jones it should all right, right? so we're Jose, so we're assuming the two guys who have been in that spot all this time we're assuming that Habib excuse me Habib is not on that list yes he's gone and then we're assuming that this would be better than what John has been up to recently, which is not much. And this uh, is John yeah. and Usman in this discussion. John in this discussion. He's got to be, right, without Habib there? Yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's right. I mean, he would be, yeah. If you're the only, well, Amanda Nunes is up there too, which is another part. It's like, you know, if she wins, oh, by the way, she's casually defending two titles in two different weight classes while in between having a kid is like, you know, the most mind-blowing shit. I mean, I realize her partner was the one that carried it, but still, you and I have had kids. We know what like what a drain on your life it can be in terms of, you know, just physically being yourself. Um, Looks like, you know, it's, it's fun, but man, what a drain on your life, your well, free time, your What wallet. are you going to say? You're well-rested when you have a kid? What are you going to say? Wow, I've never slept better. Uh, geez, no. Of course, like having a kid is wonderful, but it's not great for your sleep. I can tell you that shit. So, um so for her to be doing that, by the way, totally bonkers. But on the men's side, if you are holding two titles at once and there's not anyone else that's holding two titles at once, I kind of feel like you should get it automatically. Is that crazy to say? No, I mean, it, 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 yeah. I mean, there's there are factors that factor in, obviously, in, in the mythical pound-for-pound debate. But uh, I, I like what you're saying. I mean, it, it, and there's a, it's no-brainer. He'd be, And look, John's recent fights, they were they were debatable. They were, they were very close. He's going to have his own chance now at heavyweight to make a new kind of statement. But uh, fun times. Fun times atop there, Luke. And that's just the main event on Saturday. I'm sure the rest of the week, Luke, we got a lot more to talk about from Jan, Aljo, all the way down. Great card. Great freaking card, Luke. It is. By the way, I mean, I'm looking at this card now. Jesus Christ, man. They they stacked this one to the rafters. I mean, dude, um, Benavidez, Askar, Askarov. Not only that, is that like a number one contender fight, but they're going to bang Luke. Is Benavidez really going to be number one contender, though? Like, nah, probably not. It, it is if Askarov wins. I don't know yeah, about the other yeah, way around. Yeah. Uh, but also, shouldn't be lost on this card. Islam Makachev versus Drew Dober. Makachev, by the way, not yet there, but could soon be a player at lightweight. 
and then Tiago Santos versus, versus Alexander Rakic, you might imagine winner of that gets a title shot, depending well, and on how it goes. Not just that, but like, dude, Maheda's window is kind of closing. Thirty-seven now, Luke. Okay, you know, yeah, double lost. double knee surgery, all that shit. Like he may have to go for it. He may have to. It may be like I. I need to. I need to bang. And I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm not talking about any women's bantamweights. I need to knock Rockage out. Rocket. Rackage. Rocket. Rocket. Uh, real quickly, Rockage. I added this to the to the rundown uh, before the show at five and a half BC. Five and a half. So it's not really our sixth topic. Very quickly, you had brought up the fact that there was an interview. I don't know who he did it with, but uh, Paulo Costa spoke to someone, and I think it was a Brazilian outlet, basically now saying. Before he fought Adesanya the night before, remember they fought at like 8 in the morning there, so he had to be woken up at like 5 and get down to where he needed to get down to, and then he couldn't fall asleep, so he drank an entire bottle of wine the night before and was kind of hungover. (laughs) VC, what do you make of this recent statement, so to speak, from uh, Bohashinya? This is bizarre. Obviously, it's bizarre, and and we've seen some wackiness in boxing. Remember Ricardo Mayorga the night before he lost to Oscar De La Hoya in that pay-per-view. He was supposedly out with women of the night in the casino until 5 a.m. partying. I mean, look, it's, it's happened from a reckless standpoint, but this wasn't purposely reckless, yet ended up pretty ridiculously reckless, Luke. Look, I get the scenario he was in. Your legs hurt. You're getting up at a weird time for a fight at a weird time in a, you know, in a different land. And you're like, holy crap! I can't sleep. I gotta get up in three hours. I mean, look, no one knows that pain more than you to be to be, you know, not funny here and honest. I mean, you when you got something big to do, let alone fight for the championship of the world. I mean, that sucks. But how the hell could he ever have thought? Let me just slam this bottle here of uh, of uh, Cabernet here or whatever we got, uh, and I'll be fine. And look, that would explain the the weird taunting and just aloofness in the cage. But like. Uh, you know, I want to say this as 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 uh, nicely as possible, but still being fairly critical, Luke. Uh, this you question your IQ when you make a move like this, like straight up, like like who the hell would do that? This dude, this dude. It's like, dude, you couldn't get Nyquil. You know, you couldn't get, you couldn't. I, I don't know. Like your thought was before the biggest fight of your life, I should drink a bottle of wine. <laughs> Or don't sleep and come in raging. I don't know, Luke. I don't know what you got to do. I just feel like this was just not it, bro. I mean, you know, have you ever drinking a, you know, I don't know what his his alcohol tolerance is, but you drink a bottle of wine three hours later, you're feeling it, bro. Okay. Like that's, that's just what it is in that. And you're not, you're not certainly primed up and ready to go fight. You know, you may have liquid courage, but you're, you're. Yeah, red, especially red. And by the wine, way, it's like you, that, the guys had a million that. different explanations for what's going wrong. He didn't sleep. He couldn't sleep. He had to drink a bottle of wine. Maybe there was an injury. He didn't throw that punch. Or maybe it's always been what we've been saying. It's always been Adesanya is just better. Sorry. Yes. Would a rematch potentially go a little bit differently? Where you know if they were doing it at a time that was accommodating to Bohashinya, let's say it was in Brazil, he didn't even have to travel. I mean, maybe he stayed side. I don't even know, but. You get the idea. Home-ish kind of game for him. Yeah, I do think he'd perform better. I still am going to pick Adesanya to beat this guy probably yeah, th- nine times out of ten. That's the thing about this whole story, why it's weird and worth bringing up. It's it's actually not to damn or, or take anything away from the Adesanya win. It's just to say, like, what the hell's going on with Costa here? I mean, you know, this was, this was the biggest opportunity of your career, and this broke this broke down like this? Like, really, bro? Like, look, it's, it's true or false? Would you, would you rather him... To keep the aura of toughness, 
never <coughs> share this story ever? Like, like, look, you know, you may have been out at a whorehouse two days before and, and caught the chlamydia from Lydia, and that may be the reason for your poor performance. Don't ever share that. Don't make you more of a man. Don't share me a red wine at 4 a.m. story here. Just let me believe that, you know what? You had kind of a shitty, arrogant game plan, and the guy caught caught you. You know, like, let me believe that. Over and also, place. BC, we've drinking. You know what? For the next Room Service Diaries, we're each going to drink a bottle of wine during the podcast, and we will still finish the podcast. It will still <laughs> yes, be good. Yes, we will, Luke. Luke, are we able to talk this much crap because he doesn't speak English or what? I mean, he'll find probably. Us. Pro- we're probably okay. running our dumb mouths by virtue of yeah. a language barrier. Yes, yeah. right. he's uh, very. Man- right. I-, I will say he's he's uh his body is a wonderland, Luke. So oh, I'm, I would. I, do you, if someone said, "Would you kill BC with your bare hands to have a body like Paulo Costa?" I'd kill you twice. You understand? Wow. That's what that's what oh, wow. I would do. I would fucking strangle the life out of you to look like that. Oh, yes. Wow. Okay. Okay, Luke. You 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 could have you know that was a little, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, with that in mind, <laughs> you could have just been like, "Yeah, he's rock hard, bro." So am I now. All right. That would have been that would have been more than adequate. Right? Uh, with that in mind, it's now the time of the show where you get to ask us questions. We put up a Instagram post every Sunday. You fill it in, and then the resulting segment is what follows. It's time for DMs from Diggity Donks. <laughs> Hee-haw. All right, BC. We go to you first on this one, good sir. Yeah, yeah. What do you got, bro? From at Mosley underscore the boxer. Where does Paulo Costa say the same thing? Where does Paulo Costa saying he drank too much wine and had a hangover for the out of signing fight? Where does it rank, by the way, in all-time MMA excuses? Tito say well, he had on. a cracked skull is up there. Is that from Shane Mosley, the boxer, Luke? Or would that be... um? Um, Shane Mosley, like uh, it's the Moss Eisley Cantina, motherfucker. I don't okay. know. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. That den of sin. Yes, uh, Luke. It's it's considering it was a title, and considering he really never let his hands go. It's a it's a really bad excuse. I mean, that's why I said keep it to yourself. Let us ha- let us give you the benefit of the doubt until we find out. Don't tell us the truth. Uh, where does it rank, Luke? What's the best comparison? You were you were about to put out the, a few. The, there the Tito cracked skull one is up there. That's a big one. Um, I don't think I've ever heard a high-level UFC fighter blame, like, banging a chick the night before, you know? I've never heard that. They do make uh, your legs weak, Luke. Women, yeah. Well, I'm just saying. So I think the Tito cracked skull is the one that comes to mind for me. What about you? I mean, yeah, okay, so it's up there with, uh, this ain't MMA, but it's got to be up there with the four or five that Deontay Wilder's put out there in the past year, unfortunately, Luke. But uh, in terms of specifically to MMA, I'm trying to think of, of a really, I don't know, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a title fight. It's really bad. It's really bad, Luke. It, it was a, it's a weird flex. It's a weird self-medicative panic flex. It's just, there's a lot of other things. Can you just take, numb it? Would that have popped on the drug test, Luke? Just shoot it up? Shoot up your bum leg? I guess. Cocaine? I, I, if, I mean, if Adesanya fights Costa again, he's got to do the Tarver bit where he's like, what's your excuse going to be tonight, Yeah, Paulo? I mean, should he done a few rails? I'd probably respect that more, Luke. All right, from Liam Roed would Would me... Would Megan beating Amanda be a bigger upset than AJ versus Ruiz, Tyson Douglas, or Sarah GSP? What are the odds? I'll tell you in a minute here, BC. Dude, the odds are crazy. I think the last time I checked on William Hill, Amanda is minus 1250 or something. Uh, So here's the deal, Luke. This ain't a plus 600 fight. Like, 
I know I'm higher on Megan's chances than I think anyone at this point, and it's not that I think she's got some specific path to victory that others didn't have. I'm just mixing her legitimate size at featherweight, right? Not a blown-up bantamweight. She She's figured out through wins and losses kind of who she is as a fighter. She presents a different challenge, and maybe, just friggin' maybe, Luke, this is the best time ever to fight Amanda, right? Hasn't fought in a long time. You know, fought just once in the past year plus. Had the first child. You know, there were those little snippets of maybe I'll retire. Like, there was some, maybe this is the best under-the-radar moment. Maybe. But I don't think this is as obscene. I mean, in, a, in the real world, Luke, what should she be? Like, in the real world. Like, plus 500 as the champion? Plus 600? Something Not like plus that, yeah. Not plus 1,400, you know? Yeah. Um, but is it a bigger... Uh, Dude, I mean, look, from an emotional connection, just nothing compares to Tyson, even though the closer you get to figuring out how Tyson Douglas happened, it's obviously a lot more understandable, you know what I mean, given that Douglas was actually pretty good, just lazy, Tyson was actually kind of, you know, running on smoke and mirrors, his life was out of control at that point, um... It's almost the same way with AJ, too. Like, AJ wasn't this fat nobody. Like, boxing fans knew that he had skill if he could ever put it together. Uh, Matt Sarah would be a, a bigger upset, Luke, still. Yeah, I'm looking up the betting odds for UFC 69. That was the fight where uh, Sarah won. I'm trying to see like, if and I can... and I know when I say that, people are going to go crazy. They're going to be like, BC, look at the odds. But... I just in in in, in Nunes is the goat. So let's let's say that Mandy's the damn goat, Luke. Okay, so this makes this massive if it happened. To yeah, begin Matt with, Sarah. Right? Matt Sarah was plus seven hundred for that. Now where we go, William Hill, she's right at that. But I have seen other places where she's as high as plus eight hundred. In which case, that would make it technically a bigger upset. Also, uh, Rhonda and uh, Holly was a big upset too, as well. As we yes, all, all know. Yes. All right. From I don't know how to pronounce this Irish name, so I'm just gonna fuck it up. From Ocean underscore McCarthy ninety six. How do you pronounce that? Ocean Wizen. Uh, oh, Risen. Yeah, the great uh, Japanese fighting pr- uh, promotion. That's, that's is Canelo uh, that's... that much more superior to his opponents now, or is it a case of his opponents having an inferiority complex and almost freezing when they are there with him? Okay, so there is a little bit of the latter going on, and it's weird. It wasn't Canelo at junior middleweight was not that uh, physically opposed. I mean, even though he was like. You know he was bigger then, right? At the smaller weight classes, you you have you lose you you loom a larger presence. Even though Canelo was you know bigger in comparison to his opponents when he was a junior middleweight, Luke he was a counterpuncher. He didn't attack you and walk you down. This evolution to like I can do it all, Canelo is scary. So I do think the latter is true to a small degree. I think both Rocky Fielding and Callum Smith, Luke, they just cashed out mentally. They're just like and and Yildirim the same, right? They got to a point they're like I can't even compete with this guy. I'm just going to try to save whatever face I can, right? Like, it's not that they stopped trying to win, but they kind of stopped trying to win, right? Like, it was, there was just, he stole their confidence. But he's not Mike Tysoning people, right? You know, like, they're not, they're not shaking scared. I think they just get to a point, Luke, that he has all of his bases covered. Anything you want to do, again, unless you've got, like, elite foot speed or, in the case of Golovkin, amazing power mixed with a, such a technical jab, right? And know how to cut off the ring. You're just not going to have any success against this version of him. So it's a, it, it's a combination of both, but I think it's more his evolution, Luke, because he was so much more of a counterpuncher back in the day. He, he couldn't come at you and walk you down and go to the body and get you out of there or just stand right in front of you and swivel with uppercuts. I mean, the guy has, is, is a full-on prime 
guns blazing, one of the best in recent memory. I mean, he's amazing, Luke. Yeah, he certainly is, and you're right. You definitely watch. Like, Gil Deerham was definitely deer in the headlights there, and Smith took a little too long to ever really get going. So you hope that Saunders takes some lessons there and is like, you got to show him no respect. But the problem is, like, the reason why Canelo keeps winning is he will figure out a way around that. And then once you've shown him all of your, you know, your 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 gusto and what you plan to do, and it doesn't go anywhere, it's probably pretty goddamn deflating, you know. Um, from <laughs> Hepatitis with an R dot Gracie, right? Get it? What is easier, a wrestler becoming a high-level striker or a striker becoming a high-level wrestler? I would probably tell you the former, not the latter. But even then, when you say high-level, what does that mean? You mean like they could just go and become a pro-level kickboxer? It's probably unlikely. But can they do what St. Pierre did? Which There was a time, folks may not remember this, St. Pierre, for a time, was being rumored to be trying out for the Canadian Olympic team in wrestling. It was like, was he going to do that, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, he never did. But, you know, there were some, some whispers he might try. But the reality is that in the totality of what it means to wrestle for just pure wrestling, he doesn't have enough skills. Um, so can you go from being a wrestler to a high-level striker and vice versa, which is to say from your base to very, very comfortable, even formidable in your in another uh, area of the game inside MMA, yes, absolutely, you can. But do I really think you can grow up as a wrestler and then become a pro boxer? No, I don't think you can. Do I think you can grow up become uh, grow up as a boxer and then make a, a, a national or a world team? No, I don't think you can. So, um, I would probably say it's a little bit. Mm. I would ask a coach what they think about this. Uh, it used to be the case; it might a little bit a little bit easier to train a wrestler to become a striker, but I, I wonder if that's the case now with modern best practices. You should ask Eugene Bearman later, Luke, when you guys are FaceTiming each other. Um, Luke, uh, is it true to say that uh, pre-Habib, GSP was in discussion as the greatest wrestler in UFC history in terms of like the functionality of MMA? I mean, it was, he was pretty much right there, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's up there. I mean, again, it's like, dude, you can do great things inside MMA outside of your base. But when you right, go to he's that the outlier, base, dude, that's the point of the, the yeah. bringing it up. I mean, he's the damn outlier. I mean, yeah, it's just totally. a, a freak athlete with high level intelligence and work ethic that just put it together, man. I mean, all right, it's like BC, he should gonna, have been wrestling. A, you're gonna, Jose, you're gonna love this next question, BC. This is a, got your name written all over it from Cubby's Fan 80. BC, who is on your Mount Rushmore of guitar players? <laughs> Love it. Love it, Luke. It's 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 okay. My personal Mount Rushmore of guitar players. Now, Luke, I always have to ask this when we get these type of questions. Does that mean I'm telling you my four favorite guitarists of all time, or does that mean I'm telling you who should belong on a Mount Rushmore representing both, you know, uh, skill mixed with impact mixed with all of that, you know? Uh, your four favorite is how I will define okay. it. Your four okay. favorite. My, my Mount Rushmore of favorite guitarists of all time. Damn, I love this question. First and foremost, it's Jimi Hendrix, Luke. Not just for the recognition of him being the best of all time, but for the fact that he's actually my favorite artist in music history. And I love this songwriting i love everything about it but yes i love the the way that he changed the game on the guitar luke and just i mean he's playing luke he's playing colors okay he's playing science fiction novels in his head he ain't playing charts all right bro like what the hell is going on here um jimmy yes um dicky betts i've said it before right 
be able able to play those those country rock highly melodic solos and, and bring that into the foray with the Almond Brothers. Uh, there's two of them right there. Okay, what about like a Joe Satriani or something like that? I mean, he's technically through the roof. It, you know, it, it wouldn't make my Mount Rushmore favorites, but but I mean, the guy. You know, come on, come on. What we're talking? Yeah, about. I don't know who I'd put in there because all of my favorite guitar players as guitar players aren't necessarily even close to my favorite musicians. Um, that's a tough one, man. You know, maybe Dimebag Daryl just for like, uh, oh, yeah. you know, emotional sake. Um, no, but he had the chops to be in this discussion, Luke. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Uh, I certainly wouldn't put him as best, but, you know, those are the ones that made, God, who else would I put in there? That's a great question. I'd have to think about that one. I, you're all, you're a little more equipped to answer that one than I am. But yeah, I mean, um, I love I love Trey from Fish. I love love, but I wouldn't put him in there. I, I'd put Jerry Garcia in there. Look, I, I'm a sucker, Luke, for for anything upbeat, melodic like that. The, like the, that style of soloing. Like, come on, that's that's insanely. Like, Luke, I've said it before. There's a um, the, <laughs> jam band music. It's like a dog whistle for stoners, right, Luke? Like they, you can hear something that the average ear can't hear, Luke. Okay, and then those those guys, those type of guitarists, play that. Um, you know, Do you I'm, like I'm fish. I have. I, I can appreciate fish. I've had many runs with fish. With, with how do you, you know, like best... fish if you're not on drugs? Uh, see the problem. All right, there's a few problems. Like once you figure out what fish actually is, and it's not like Grateful Dead 2.0. It's it's actually more progressive mixed with almost like Frank Zappa style of, of just speed jazz. I mean, look, it's incredible. I, I think what, what has always held me back is the quality of songwriting. It's just not there. Trey soloing is insane. The rest of the band has the chops, their whole style and history set list touring. They're, they're great, but they don't have the, they just don't have it songwriting wise. Uh, that that's what held them back. But I I've been deep Luke. I've been on the tours. I've been there. I've lived it. Um, but you know, you, you gotta give me who's your favorite metal guy? Like who's your favorite metal thrasher, Luke? Dimebag Daryl has to be, right? Well, when I was a kid, you know, uh I was a big it's probably Dimebag Daryl because when I was a kid, obviously everyone loved Kirk Hammond and Metallica, but I grew out of that one pretty quickly once I realized like, oh, there's a lot more metal that I'm not aware of. Um Yeah, it's probably it's I I I'm I'd have to go I'd have to think about it. I'm I'm not good on the pop. Uh, quiz the fly here but that's that's almost certainly going to be my number one which is not again which is not to say he's the most technically proficient but just the one that has i've enjoyed the most yeah i'm gonna throw clarence white in there some somewhat forgotten name in the country rock bluegrass scene played with the birds for a while before his untimely death played with grand parsons that guy changed it i mean he look he invented things on guitars that switched what type of guitar it is with a switch i mean that guy did insane stuff but great question luke i'd have to really uh think about it to get my fourth on there but a great question all right. Well, with that in mind, sir, we go from guitar players to people who probably smash guitars on their balls. It's time probably. for you to steer the show. All right. Let's do it. Uh, you know what we do? We, we we look around the globe. You know, the highs and lows, the good and bad, the ugly and the in-between from combat sports and beyond. Throw to the graphic. It's have you seen this shit. All right, Luke, let's do it. UFC Fight Night in Vegas. How about that promised montage of Ronnie Lawrence in his bantamweight win over Vince Cachero? Uh, Luke, it was a third-round TKO, but check out this sequence in particular. Yeah, that was the ending one here, I believe. Good God. Ragdolling, Luke. Yeah. Matter in a movie? Hot tramp? Daddy's little cutie? Ragdoll? 
Fuck. Okay. Rinse and repeat, Luke. Uh, all right, let's go to zone boxing in Miami. We talked Canelo earlier. Luke, did you see promoter Eddie Hearn during the weigh-in on Friday? As a bet, he wore Canelo's Dolce Gabbana pajamas to the event. And I was going like to say, a, did he lose a bet because he looks bad? He looked like a sore freaking thumb. But, you know, hearing the interviews and him kind of joking about it and laughing with Canelo, Luke, they make a good pairing. Canelo and Eddie Hearn. I know they only have one fight left on this deal, but... Like, did you see that quote that I sent to you that uh, Eddie Hearn put out there? I, we should have ran that on the show today about why guys like Bob Arum are behind on this right now and they're yeah, losing I read fighters. Yeah, it. it was good. He was he, and he's right. right too. Maybe we'll get to that on Wednesday. But uh, Eddie Hearn and, and Canelo, man, they look happy. They look good. That that was fun to see. Uh, damn, those are ugly pajamas. But who am I, Luke? Moving on from the undercard, did you see Mark Castro stopping? Former UFC title contender John Moraga deep on the undercard, Luke. In the your second. thoughts. In the yeah. second. Yeah, they're turning him into a journeyman and not even in, in boxing. It's sad to see, but. Did he bypa- bypass BKFC and go right for the box, Luke? I think he did. I think he did. All right. All right. He Don't wrestled at a, at, a, at a decently high level um, in college. Um, so he's a good athlete. But, yeah, look at him. He's just getting tuned up here. Yeah. Uh, backstage, Luke, before the Canelo fight. How about this guy, Salt Bay? The famous chef, pre- fresh off meeting Conor McGregor, uh, putting some love on Canelo. But Luke, should he have been this lovey? Ain't the damn Salt Bay Turkish? That's Yildirim territory, bro. Yeah, it is. Also, I, I got to tell you, listen, no one's going to accuse me of being the king of fashion. I don't love the collar on top of the suit. It's very, it's very uh, Masvidalian 70s uh, Scarface, right? Yeah, it's very, you know, I got dressed in a time machine look. I have ripped abs, really good cocaine, and a lot of women at my disposal. That's what it screams, Luke. Right, right, basically. Okay, all right, all right. Well, Luke, that was before the fight. How about afterward when your Colombian hero, Jay Blavin, came in to celebrate with Big Ben? and then Jay Blavin? Balvin. (laughs) Balvin, not Blavin. Jay, check out what happened next. Canelo getting lovey-dovey going all tip-on-tip on this hog. Wait, Wait for it here, Luke. This is what real men do, Luke. You know what? That's how you greet me. <laughs> uh, Luke, were any of the Latin women in your household uh, feeling it during that Jay Blavin concert to bring Canelo out? I, I don't know who Hota Blavin is, but um, yeah, they liked it. They, I mean, that you know, it's very Miami, but they liked it. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. If someone's touching tips, it's usually going to be on this show. Hey, Luke, one championship fists of fury took place over the weekend. Check out Rod Tang. What do we call him? Rod Tang? I, I see his name all the time. I, I, Jesus. Rod Tang's the guy with the better tan. Kavilov letting him have it, and he went all recorder Mallorca on us. Luke, just like, yeah, hit me right here, bro. Boy, you are doing a real Mike Goldberg job with these name pronunciations. <laughs> I only Rod see Tang. one V in there, not two. Yeah, all right, Luke, yeah, stay with me, Luke. I'm getting more goldy day by day. This is gross, okay. Uh, Also on this undercard, Luke, 16-year-old Victoria Lee, a.k.a. The Prodigy, got a submission win in her debut, Luke, 16. Yeah, yeah, you'll you'll roll with 16-year-olds, and you'll be like, it's absurd how good this person is at 16. Life is not fair. Although one was trying to put up graphics like youngest to make their pro debut. And it was like Wayne Gretzky, Mike Tyson. (laughs) I'm like, slow your roll, one. Slow your roll. But isn't she part of that one super family of champions? The Lee family, Luke? Isn't there like a brother and a sister and a younger sister? 
Yeah, but my dad was a diplomat, and I turned out to be a loser. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily run in the family. All right. Well, you know, I, I've often wondered in Singapore where the high school girls hang out, Luke. Right here in this cage, okay? Very good-looking win there for the, uh, for the uh, what's-her-name. All right, Luke, let's roll on. Um, why don't we go back a week? There's still some meat on the bone to celebrate from this Oscar Valdez knockout of the year of Miguel Burchell, <laughs> including Luke. Is that me as the ring doc? That's, a, that's close. Uh, I don't know, but it does look like you at a bare minimum cut his hair. Are you his barber? Uh, dude, I think I have that that jacket that he's wearing too. That was, when I saw that Luke, it was Spider Man meme. It was like, wow, I know you. Okay, how about that? But That's Luke, hilarious. it gets it gets better. Luke, um, you know, world renowned boxing ring announcer who works with me on NBC Sports on Ring City, Lupe Contreras, Texas, yes. his own real good looking guy. Uh, he sent me in this video of Oscar Valdez celebrating with his father, Luke, immediately after the victory. He said, "Show this to Luke. Luke, these are what passionate men do. Okay, a father." And a son. Yeah, but he had a mask on. All right. He, you know, it was his boy's biggest moment. Mr. Valdez was like, planet right here, French Canadian style. Okay, Luke. All right. I know they don't do that in the Thomas house, but well done, Oscar Valdez. They don't don't even hug in this house. Yeah, they don't even hug in this house. Actually, Luke, speaking of... uh, of your salty background with a lack of father intimacy. Uh, we did get footage of the new boat you bought over the weekend. Uh, check out this pic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take that, Rob Thomas. You know, if it's 3 a.m., you must have left your son lonely. He is. He has accomplished a few things. Please, moving oh, on. Not bad. Hey, That's stri- not bad. Street fights of the week, Luke. Here we go. Uh, this guy going all praying mantis in the third world, Luke. Check this out. Oh, oh shit! Oh, oh. oh, he sent that what, guy in the AMT drugs. Scrubs. What drugs was he on? You think? Yeah, PCP is a hell of a drug, but nice combination after distracting him, Luke, with the kata. You know, yeah, I, mean, I mean, the guy just stood there with his hands down. <laughs> hands down, man down. That's what Daryl Spence says, Luke. All right, uh, let's keep showing some street fight weirdos. Check out how this dude gets fired up before the fights, Luke. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. (laughs) <laughs> eat dirt John How, boy wow why the why the fuck you cutting line in wawa in front of me <laughs> look at the person in the in the mirror watching this luke this is great oh mouth breathing yeah. the person watching is just sitting there mouth breathing more than <laughs> i do during the show <laughs> Luke, have you ever um, tried to fire yourself up before a fight by uh, punching? No, a wall I've seen a dude break a windshield doing that before a fight. Yeah, this is the Gus Farad of uh, of street fighters, Luke. Right? I mean, these guys are amazing. They hit themselves and then they walk into their opponents hands down. It's so, yeah. I mean, it's just like okay. <laughs> Hands down, man down. All right, Luke. Uh, hey, how about some spinny shit done right? Check out this promotion called Made for the Cage in the UK. Ooh. Ooh. The well gentleman's done. name what is... What a finish. 
Magdi nice. Gareev with some insane spinny shit right there. Please play that again. That is a kill. Wow. Be careful in regional MMA. You never know what can happen, Luke. They can pull anything out. Oh. This is this is how the Thomases greet each other. Yeah, they do. Yeah, the, yeah, they do. Damn. Except, except right. for the celebratory hugs afterwards. <laughs> Last week, Luke, in Russia. Check out this fat heavyweight fight, Luke. Max Novoselov, a former drug trafficker who served 18 years for murder, comes out of jail, heads into the ring here, Luke, against... Uh, Dennis Vladinov. Here's the ring walk for old Max. Uh, you ever hear of this guy? He's an international man of uh, infamy, Luke. He looks normal and well-adjusted. <laughs> is this Con Air? Are we on the plane right now, Luke? What is going on here? I mean, uh, he let's go to He the... definitely, you would want this guy as your neighbor, for sure. Shout out to Tim Boxeo for researching all these weirdos for us. Uh, let's see the footage of the fight. Uh, good old Max sends this fat guy, uh, sends him down, Luke. Which one is he, this head. dude? The guy on, on the, the right, right, the bald guy. Go to the guy. left yeah. now? Yeah. Oh. You know, you hit him in that bread basket, Luke, you can knock a few loaves out of there, you know? He's probably like, you know, I'm used to these being shanks that I made out of a toothbrush, <laughs> but a boxing glove will do. He was eating good in prison. Shout out to that guy, Luke. Hope he doesn't yeah, he find was. us. All right. Hey, Luke, you know, they got a festival for everything. Check out this ginger fest that I saw captured on TikTok. Luke, a field full of freckles. Look, there's Canelo. There's Rafe Bartholomew. There's Short Fuse Ed Herman. There's that snarky ginger chick that hates me on Twitter. Luke, there's Caratop. Snarky uh, ginger hates you on Twitter? Oh, yeah. Hate, hates me, Luke. Hates really? Me, you know. Yeah, I have that way with, with a lot of women, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, you know, Luke, we... we uh, you know, I had a I had a, I had a ginger thing in high school. That could have been cleaning up at this. Place. I've never, I've actually never dated one, and uh, you know, I'm perfectly uh, happy as a married man. But I will say, I'm not one of these guys who discriminates against the gingers. I, you know, I've seen a couple of them that had red hair that were ten out of ten. Now they're the gingers. I mean, people are gonna you know pick this clip out, Luke, and send it at uh, you know Sam. Yeah, all right, what do you want to accuse me of? Red hair bigotry for fuck's sake? I mean, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's keep it going here, uh, Luke. Um, it's it's a amazing clip here. How about check out the the lack of kayfabe on this kid coming in to rescue Batman, Luke? Check this out, dude. Thanos getting fucking worked. <laughs> oh shit! Here comes the cavalry. If you're Thanos, you're a recovering alcoholic. You're just trying to make kids happy, Luke, and you get kicked right in the face. This is great. Dude, hey, this, guy who's, this guy who's playing Thanos right now, he's like, what the <laughs> fuck went wrong with my life? Luke, what country is this happening in? I'm going to guess. Hold on. Let that's me see Colum the kids. I'm going to guess Maybe. South America. I was going to say, that's very Colombian-like here. This is good. I like this. All right. Yeah. See, everyone's got the brown hair. Can we get a parent to step in already? Thanos is getting his ass kicked. Dude, I, right, I, uh, I love how Iron Man and Spider-Man are just like, yo, Thanos, you had it coming, yeah. bro. Yeah. <laughs> we we know what you did to those kids. You got it coming. Uh, poor parenting move of the week time, Luke. Usually the idea of a tossed salad is only this dangerous in a jail cell. Check this out, Luke. Oh, yikes. Luke, just oh, a word of advice. Oh, pobrecito. When you do gymnastic selfie videos, just tie the kids oh, up. Oh, okay? I feel yeah. bad for the little one. Oh, he's crying. Well, Luke, speaking of great parents and dads, uh, Mr. Hebas, move over. I need you, Luke, as the biggest tattoo 
uh, critic of all time to check out what Canelo trainer and co-manager Eddie Reynoso did ahead of this fight, putting Big Red on his left forearm. I think we got a couple different pictures to cycle here through. Luke, you sent Mr. Hebas to the deep, deep dark depths for his artistic choices. I, I like uh, how first- I'm now like a tattoo hater because I didn't like one Quite obviously bad tattoo, but okay. No, the sentiment was great. Luke, I want you to Dude, first tell me about the... Who shit? That has nothing to do with how good the yeah, tattoo is. And you know it, it doesn't. It does, Luke. It okay. doesn't. It has nothing it to do with it. Okay, okay then, then let, me, me- let, let me tattoo your arm. And I'll, I'll put a nice big heart and say, I love BC on it. You want to let me do tell that? Tell me about the, the technical ability here. Is this well done? Is this highly paid for, Luke? What happened here? Again, I am not an expert on this. Uh, yeah, it's actually... Well, I mean, to be clear, it's significant. Leave it there. Don't Don't move it. It's significantly better than the other one. You can look at the top of the glove. You can see his name etched into the glove. You can see the light shining off of the glove. Um, it's a little dark, but it might lighten up over time. The only thing I don't like, and this is just personal, it, it does look like Canelo. It's a little bit different. But you can see like even then they got the musculature in there. You can see the writing on the back of Canelo's back. The only part about it that I'm a little bit not necessarily a fan of, but this, is not, this does not make it a bad tattoo. It's just a personal preference is you see how the back has a giant black shading and Canelo fits against that. I tend to not like that kind of background where you're obviously setting the tone there. I'd rather just have Canelo sort of standing free and maybe make that work. But a lot of people like it. It's not. It's certainly not technically wrong in any way. Just a personal preference. But uh, is this a better tattoo in virtually every way than the Amanda Hebos one? Yes, it is. Oh come on! For, I think I smell a good segment here brewing, Luke. But look, uh, you can uh, see. Look, look, you can even see um, beneath his left jaw. Look at the folds in his neck as he turns. I mean, this, yeah, is, this is a pretty, pretty well done tattoo. Now, what about the sentiment? Is this weird? Like, I know they're they're day one ish best friends back from when Canelo was fifteen and turned pro. Eddie's a few years older. But is this weird, Luke? This is a little weird, right? I I wouldn't get it. You know. <laughs> I think weird is a strong word, but, you know, it's it's extra. I mean, that's going to be on his body forever, Luke, okay? What is that supposed to mean? You have a falling out. I don't know, Luke. Maybe he gets stiffed on the money one day. He's like, damn, I got a big red on my arm. You know what I mean? like, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess if you feel like, you know, everything is transactional and ephemeral that you could not, uh, avoid that, but... And my view on tattoos is if you want to get it, get it. It doesn't mean if, just because you're going to have it until you die. Like, oh, like that's a reason not to get it. That's a reason to just do what the fuck you want and let it be. All right. Look at Luke going all Alistair Crowley. Do what thou will here. Wow. All right, Luke. Here we go. Uh, let's speak of Canelo. And look, I'm speculating here, but you know I love to do it. Luke, was it convenient timing that retired former pound for pound king Andre Ward, the 37-year-old, putting out multiple videos? It looked maybe like a commercial shoot. I can't tell. But multiple videos of him working out and, and letting the hands go in the ring. Luke, can I get excited through this? I mean, it's just real basic stuff, and it does look like a commercial shoot, and those Jordans look fresh. But yeah, yeah, I mean, he's he looks like he's in good shape, doesn't he? I mean, Luke, I, it's just timing, right? Timing of the message of putting these out. Well, it just happened to be the, the day Canelo fought. You know, I don't know, Luke. Yeah, all right. it's interesting. Uh, all right, all right, I'm with you a little bit, and the Jordans are, okay. they're nice. I mean, him against Canelo at 175, Luke, you're going to get some people picking word. I'm telling you. Do you like Jordans? Yes. 
What year made the best Jordans? Which which iteration? Do you know, or do you, do you have an opinion? Opinion? Uh, the th- I like the threes a lot, Luke. Yeah. I'm not as as uh, <laughs> I'm not. I only own one pair of Jordans in my life, Luke. The Ro- the Roy Jones Junior boxing ones. I still have. Those oh things. shit! Really? That's cool. No, I'm, I, I don't know much about Jordans because growing up, I wasn't allowed to have nice shoes. We had the shittiest shoes ever, but now that I'm older, I'm trying to get back into them. Well, we rocking uh, Avias, Luke. Uh, L.A. Gear. What do you? What I you know. I didn't there, go right? L.A. Gear, but I would get just like whatever the whatever the shittiest, like, you know, whatever they had at Payless Shoe Source. Your boy was getting consistently until I had a choice Pumas. to like buy my own stuff. You know, Pumas um, before they were cool. Back when only. Isaiah Thomas and Clyde Drexler had the contracts with them, Luke. You could get beat up wearing Pumas in my school, right? Yeah, not that. I mean, but you know, I didn't I didn't stri- I didn't try to do the imitation thing. I was like, I'm gonna get the British Knights Dimacell. I was just like, I'm gonna have shitty shoes. But yeah, uh shitty. I think, those are shitty, yeah. Oh, super shitty. But I think the Jordan threes or the Jordan fours are the best ones they ever made. But you know, I'm old. Who the cares? threes are incredible. Um the ones that came out with the uh like black leather tongue with the holes in it. You remember that one? It would they yeah. did a, a black with red and a black with purple. That was like ninety two. Those were insanely amazing too. Like yeah. the Space Jam ones are pretty badass too. Do you remember the Shaq ones they made that had the cartridge? You would like load yeah, them up. Yeah, those were with? lame as shit. Those were really lame, Luke. Yeah, did I ever tell you that one time? Did I ever tell you the story? I'll tell it on the air. I don't give a fuck. The one time I got Reebok pumps as a kid, and understand something. Reebok pumps at the time where they had the basketball on the tongue that you pumped up. Those were considered for at least a, a short period of time. BC, you would agree. Those were Brown, apex bro. cool, correct? D Brown 91 slam dunk contest. They were the best shoe you could find at that moment. Non Jordan. Okay. So dude, I had, I had divorced parents. All right. And I lived with my mom, which meant, you know, uh, we just lived, a, I lived a single mom life in terms of what I could wear. That's why I had shitty shoes, whatever the whole nine yards. So my dad, one time, Purchased me and my brother at the peak of their coolness, the peak, uh, a pair of each uh, Reebok pumps, and I and Damn, I could the black. I, Yo, are you talking all black with the ball on the top? All black? No, right? these were white that had blue trim, but they were still pretty cool. Okay. Okay. Oh, they're still pretty cool. They ain't the D Browns, but yeah, they're no, cool. no, no. They weren't that one, but they listen. From what I was wearing, as much of an upgrade as you're gonna get. And I remember my mom said, "There's no way I'm going to allow you." To take these, and I had to give them back to my dad. She wouldn't let me wear them, and I had to consistently oh, wear shitty shoes until high school. I'll never forget. I was so fucking pissed. <sighs> yeah, dude. All right. That's lame. We, yeah, we got more on that to come in the future. I got a lot more comments about old. When I was on the eighth grade basketball team, BC, the whole team bought Nike Airs as part of what to wear. My mom made me buy New Balance basketball shoes. Who the fuck oh, wears New Balance God. basketball shoes? Okay, so I, I feel did. your pain. My dad was out of work for two years, and it was seventh and eighth grade, so I had shitty shoes at the time that everybody had good ones, Luke. So I know that feeling. That sucks. That really, I, I, Luke, I, didn't, I we couldn't afford football cleats. I don't play football in old Nikes, Luke. It was horrible, all right? Yeah. Horrible. I, I, if, if there's one thing I want to do as a parent, it's not that to my kids. Not that at all. Not that at all. All right, well, let's hopefully something in this rest of the show doesn't make you lose your job, Luke. Okay, let's keep it going here. Uh, Luke... <laughs> Uh, hey, how about this one? Congrats. Uh, whoa, what is this? Oh, here we go. Yeah. Check out this guy, Luke. I don't think we've seen oh, this one. We've God. Seen... Oh, God. <laughs> Congrats. You've got C-E-T-E, sir. Yeah. Uh, the best. Oh. Oh, right. God. Yeah. yeah. Dude, look at this guy. He's like, Tits McGee here. Just thinks he's going to take flight. 
Look, I mean, he didn't get his hands out. I mean, that's just face for that's just bad. I'm not convinced that he didn't live. Look, this might be <laughs> we might have had to vet this properly. I'm sorry. How, how many teeth did this fat bastard lose? <laughs> Remember that time they wouldn't let me run that video of the circus performer getting uh, choked to death by the snake because we found out he died. Yeah, it wasn't that. It was me. I was like, I don't think we should be putting deaths on the air yeah. on the first show. <laughs> Shane, maybe that's just Shane, me. Uh, faces of combat death. All right, let's keep it going. A couple more. Hey, look, you know that great artist, Boss Logic? Check out this poster he made for Spider-Man 3. It's borderline tip on tip, bro, right? Pretty good, pretty good. That man blew up. Oh, yeah. Our, our old UFC friend loved that guy from Down Under. He also did the posters for Mayweather McGregor. Yes. I have. I've got some. You know, Showtime sent me some real weird ones of Connor wearing like a crown and shit. I, I think those are probably Boss Logic ones. They're I got one of those, ones. too, but I don't remember what I did with it. Uh, Luke, uh, this is the most requested clip we've had in a long ass time. Uh, the Scorpion King tryouts came to the boxing ring this week, Luke. <laughs> oh. Dude, did he punch his spine out of his back? Oh, look, you know what that looked like when you go on vacation, you buy too many souvenirs. You're like, how am I going to fit these into the suitcase? And then you, yeah, they just, you just, yeah, you just content condense them like that man's spinal cord. God, how did he live? I mean, that's, that's, that's brutal. That is brutal deluxe. That is, that was me on the first day of school with all my shitty shoes. That's what it felt like. Uh, Luke, I got one more for you. Let's close with this. Check out these this weird and creepy throwback youth basketball team team picture, Luke. <laughs> who's gonna let? First of all, who's gonna let their kids play on the come team? I mean, who, who's coaching Sandusky? And second of all, Luke, um, uh, who the hell would wear a shirt in public that says "come" on it? What are you, some kind of asshole, right? <laughs> I mean, who? I mean, who? I mean. Who, who would do that, Luke? You know, I mean, who would steal thirty bag lunches? I'll tell you, it was that damn Sasquatch? Uh, yeah. Well, all right, Luke. Got That's a lot of funny. people, by the way, sending in about this this uh, cum sh- shot. That's crazy. That's really funny. Uh, well, it's not quite cum. It's the kumitation. It's a it's a Frank Duke shirt from Bloodsport. God damn it. All right, that's the uh, shit. But that's funny. Week, that's Luke. good shit, you know. dude. Who the fuck? What what is like? Catholic University fucking M. I don't know what the M would be, but Jesus Christ. That's a terrible picture. <laughs> that's really bad. Yep. That's, 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 uh, <laughs> okay. All right, BC. Yeah. Time for odds and ends. What do you got for odds and or ends? Yeah, so plenty of star power at that Canelo fight from Colby Covington to every popular boxer. Also, Jorge Masvidal in the house, Luke, and he gave an interview on camera with Boxing Social afterwards. And with which Masvidal said straight up, I'm fighting Usman. It's probably going to be in September. And and after that, of course, he went on to say, like he said before, I want to box. I'd love to box Canelo. I'd love to blah, blah, blah. And, the, and he gave the reasoning, obviously, about that boxing pays more in one night, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Luke, the news that really came out of that, though, is I think he, he jumped the gun and screwed the pooch there. Uh, if he's fighting Usman in a rematch in September, which is obviously the seemingly the fight to make in many ways, the distance of having that out that that far, does that mean that they're going to be tough coaches? The hell you say, Luke? I think that's what it means because if they're they're probably they're probably asking themselves, okay, how much longer do we think Kamaru is going to hold this title? And there's reasons to think he's going to hold it for a little while longer. 
So you might as well promote him if he's going to be there in that position, especially if he might move up a weight now that Izzy's moving up a weight. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's probably time to get behind Usman in a way that they not necessarily, I mean, not that they've been shitting on the guy, but, you know, really like dig into high gear. I think that's what it means, but I guess we're going to have to see. All right. Uh, that that was an interesting bit of uh, news there. Um, so this, this uh, is what's happening, Luke. For me at Odds and Ends, there was a grappling event called WNO Who's Number One on Flow Grappling on Friday. A bunch of results. Craig Jones beat uh, this Atos guy. I think it's Ronaldo or Ronaldo. I'm not sure how he says his fucking name, to be quite honest with you. So keep that in mind. But the bigger news out of it in terms of the salacious side was uh, Roberto Jimenez was supposed to have a match with um, the the heavyweight over at Dan Herdeth Squad. I forget his name. And he got injured. And so Gordon Ryan filled in. Gordon Ryan is easily the very best uh, no-gi submission grappler in the world. And Gordon Ryan won. In fact, even before the match, said he was going to win via mounted armbar, which is exactly what he did. And uh, so that's kind of amazing. But afterwards, he had a confrontation with Andre Galvan. Now, here's why. Galvan is a previous ADCC winner. And then when you win it, I think if the absolute, you have to come back against the super fight against the previous year's winner or whatever the fuck. I forget how it works. But you have to have a super fight if you're the previous, uh, it's two, every two years with the previous time. So... Gordon Ryan is on a collision course with Andre Galvan, and they've been talking trash, but Galvan doesn't seem like he wants to have a match, and you know, it's just online back and forth about who's going to win and how much money it's going to cost and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they saw each other, and we actually have video of it. Here's part of it. This is actually after... Do we have audio or not, Manich? Do we have audio? So you can see Gordon Ryan comes up here, Manish, did you actually get the one of Gordon Ryan slapping Andre Galvan or not? Yeah, let me. this is after the slapping. Let me see the slapping. Check this out. And I wish we had audio because if you hear it, it's not a little. Boom, Ooh. son. Woo. Slapped him up and Galvan did nothing, and I, which I was very surprised by. And neither did his team. And so afterwards, so he shoves him here. Bop, slaps him hard. You can hear it. And then he goes and sits down, and they have this back and forth. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in terms of them actually having a match at ADCC, but this was all the rage afterwards. Gordon Ryan is, I mean, Flow Grappling gets a lot of criticism because all of their coverage is basically about Gordon Ryan. But he has a thing that I guess his detractors just don't understand. One, he's very good, so he wins a lot of matches. He's on like a 50-match winning streak, and he wins them at a high level in important contests. And two, dude, he's a king troll. He goes out there and just pokes the bear with everyone. BC, he's kind of like, it's not exactly right, but he's kind of like a 2016, 2015 Conor McGregor a little bit. I mean, he's a little bit better than that Mix, because of how good he is. But in terms of the place Jake Paul. he represents. Yeah, he's kind of like a Jake Paul, Conor McGregor. Something like that. He's as good as a championship level. He's the very best in, in, in uh, Nogi. And then on top of it, he just riles up everybody in that industry. So he ends up getting just an enormous amount of coverage as a consequence. And there's Gabby. Wow, Garcia, look at, by look the at way. Gabby. Gabby's like, what the hell is going on here? She's ready to take over. Look, dude, Gabby is way bigger than Andre Galvan. <laughs> Gabby should just double leg Ryan, just take him right out. Luke. She she uh, agreed to face him. She'd face Gordon Ryan. She'd probably lose, but still, you got to admire her guts. What do you what do you make of this episode and? In jujitsu, BC, yeah, a little pro wrestling drama. It, it would, it would. I'm telling you the truth. 
it would get me more interested. Luke, when did all them people watch NASCAR? When those guys fought a ton in the in the damn uh, hauler area, Luke, right? When did uh uh when did uh what's it? Oh, the the figure skating broke all them records at the uh at the Olympics in 94. Luke, remember how many people were watching that Tanya Harding bullshit? You remember that, Luke? Yep. Cuz there was like a pro wrestling style attack ahead of the time, Luke. It's the secret to bringing in so what if these guys were conspiring behind the scenes, Luke, to bring in eyeballs? They might be. They might be. But Galvan took an L here because he got slapped and just let it happen. Boy, I always yeah. thought if someone slapped a pro fighter. Remember, he used to be a pro fighter. Um, you know, that that would be the end of something or at least initiate conflict between two of them. But he just he just allowed it to happen. Kind of surprising. All right. All right. We should get Gabby out with us on the road for security, Luke. She'd take people down, right? You ever seen her in person? No. I saw her next to Cyborg once. Her and Cyborg were together at a Strike Force event. They were like friends hanging out. And she dwarfs, dwarfs Cyborg. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. She yeah. is uh she is large and in charge, BC. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> not dissimilar to the host of this program, Luke, okay? Something like that. Not not quite uh not quite as successful in their individual occupation, but you know, working at it. Uh, all right, BC, I think that's it for us this time. We have a bunch of extra content coming your way this week. So we have the shows, obviously, right? So today, Wednesday, and Friday, live chat Thursday, blah, blah, blah. But on top of that, we're going to have some special get you ready for UFC 259 content. Dude, three title fights in one day. That's a big deal. That's a huge fight week coming up, man. Yeah, dude, this card's great. Great. Great freaking card. Luke, you could make an all-star team out of the undercard and put together a, a, a better fight night card than what we normally see. You know what I'm saying? Oh, easily. Easily. You could take the rest of that card, maybe put like one, you know, top contenders fight at the top of it, and it'd be fine. It'd be totally, you'd be very happy with the quality of that card. So pretty impressive. Well done, um, UFC. All right. Yeah. All right. So if you want to, uh, if you want to subscribe oh, look, to. Important. Important. Okay. Get ready. A lot of people asking us, what the hell happened to that doc you guys were trying to pawn off on yes. us? Get us really excited about. The final rough draft is in. Luke, I've seen an earlier rough draft. It is spectacular, this second documentary. Luke, I'm, I'm serious. Am I saying that because I'm the star of it, Luke? Probably. But I will tell you that uh, thematically, cinematically, um, how it was performed. Look, this thing is a, so here's the deal folks. It'll be live this week. I think we're going to have a uh, trailer during Wednesday show. And I think Thursday of this week, you're talking about bonus content. That's legitimate. How about some illegitimate content this week, Thursday documentary 2.0 Luke, it's coming. Are you going to watch it ahead of time? You have the link in your possession. You're like, yeah, I don't need to watch it. Whatever. Yeah, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Um, so be on the lookout for that. That's important. Uh, follow and subscribe. You can see it's morning combat, the same name, and written in the same way everywhere. A little bit different for me and BC between Twitter and Instagram. But give us a follow just the same. We always appreciate that. All right. If you got any fan submissions, any artwork, any pictures of yourself in MK Gear on the road or wherever, send it to us. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Also, any dead wrongs that we have for Friday show, you can send us there. Morningcombat at gmail.com. If you want to try Showtime, you can. Uh, you can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can do whatever you want with your life. And if you subscribe now, I believe you're going to get 4 99 for the first six months of your Showtime experience. Um, let's see. You can go to store.show.com for some MK merch, hats, beanies, mugs, tumblers, 
ball condoms, ball condoms, that kind of a thing. It's all there, ready to go. And BC, what time's your flight? Uh, I think right now, Luke. I gotta go. So it's great, great, great doing the show with you. I'll, I'll catch all you right. later. Travel right? safe to uh, Puerto Rico. We'll talk to you soon. And for everyone at Malka, CBS Sports, and Showtime, thank you so much for watching. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.